Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. We're coming off of a great week of celebration, uh, the one-year birthday of our church. And uh, I love it. I love it. We had a, a big Sunday. We had God moved and a big Wednesday night and the God moved and just grateful for a year and, uh, and a year and a week now, right? So we're a year and a week old. So we got this all figured out together, all right? We got this all figured out, but just grateful of what God has done. I shared with uh, a lot of our folks just amazing each week to see how God is just continuing to save people. And to bring people into relationship with him. I just can't thank him enough. And I'm grateful we get to to celebrate God's word tonight. Now, we're in a series of messages entitled The Gospel at Work. It's this reality, ready? That the Holy Spirit is working the gospel in us and through us. And we see this modeled all throughout this sequel to Luke's gospel called Acts. Now, the gospel is clearly at work, and what we're going to find this evening is that even in Acts chapter 3, we saw him at work in Acts chapter 1, in Acts chapter 2, but we're continuing to see the Holy Spirit at work here in Acts chapter 3. And here's the question we ask you, ready? What makes a crippled man dance? What is it that can make a crippled man dance? So let's invite ourselves into this dance party found here in Acts chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, turn there just for a moment. Now, speaking of dancing, as you turn there for a moment, this may come across as a surprise to you, but I don't dance a lot. I know it's hard for you to believe you look at me and you think professional dancer. No, listen, I don't dance a whole lot. Now, I'll dance with my wife anytime we're at a celebratory event like a wedding or something along those lines. I'll always dance with my wife. I dance with my kids when they ask. But, but nowadays, I find myself dancing just at weird times, okay? For instance, you ever walk through your house at night and step on a Lego? As if your kid's been sharpening it all night, waiting for you to come in and step on Listen, when I step on a Lego... Man, I begin to dance in just an ugly dance because of the pain, right? How about this? How about when you stub your toe? Every time I stub my toe, the pain is so real. There's few things in life like a stub toe, right? And let me tell you how affectionate my wife is. You ready? Every time I do it, she laughs uncontrollably at me dancing around because I've stubbed my toe. A lot of other reasons that we dance around sometimes. And I, I think about this. How about when you walk into a spider web? And you know that 60-pound spider somewhere in the middle of your back that you can't reach, right? You know he's there. You can't find him. Man, I'll do some dancing. How about, you know, in my lawn business, I hit a hornet's nest. I'm going to tell you something. There's some things in life that will make you dance even if you want to. I'll tell you my favorite kind of dancing, though. Back when I was in Charlotte, North Carolina, and uh, serving at a great church there, every day I came home, my middle girl, my middle child at that point, Chloe May, blonde hair, blue eye would stand at the door in a wedding dress from the Cinderella movie, the real Cinderella movie, right? And she would stand there, and every day I would come home, and I would open the door, and there she would stand, and she would kind of bow her head, and I would just go, oh, and I will drop everything. Oh, you are so beautiful. Oh, just can't believe how beautiful you are. And every day I came home, my daughter celebrated by me and her dancing together a wedding dance. And I loved it. 
And I pray that she'll do it when she's 15, right? That is my hope of all hopes that at 15, she'll still do that. Dad, but listen, when we would dance together, it was a celebration of something. Dancing marks celebration. And we see that in today's passage. Let's begin in Acts chapter 3, and let's look at verse 1. The Bible says this, that one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now I want us to note something. This young church is still in Jerusalem. They have yet to spread outside the city limits. Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, the very commission of Christ in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 has yet to be tapped, but it's coming. The early church was also, as we see in this passage, they were tied to the temple quite regularly. And here's why. Number one, I think they just loved going together and praying. But also the temple was probably the only structure, the only area big enough for them, a growing church, to meet together. And here we find them in Jerusalem, three times of prayer, at 9 a.m., at noon, and at 3 p.m. And here we find Peter and John, they gather on this day, to talk with Jesus, but also hear me, ready? Not just to pray, but they stood ready to witness for Jesus as he commissioned them to do. In Acts chapter one, verse eight. Now, let's look together at verse number two. The Bible says this, now a man who was lame from birth, who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going to the temple courts. Now the Bible says this, that he was lame from birth. Later on we'll find that his ankles and his feet were weak, which may very well mean that he had some type of of deformity at birth where he just simply was unable to walk. In fact, in later passages in chapter four, we find that this guy is over 40 years old and that probably, most likely, this guy has been laying at this gate called Beautiful for decade upon decade upon decade. You know what's an interesting note? He may very well have seen Jesus walked into the temple just a year earlier. He may very well have saw Jesus as he walked in and had no way to get over to him. I wonder as he laid there day in and day out, if I could have just gotten to Jesus, I would have been okay, but there he lay. And now here's wrongfully, the Jewish leaders of that day would have looked at this lame man's condition from birth and they would have have thought this, one of two things happened. Number one, he was in that condition because of the sins of his mom and dad. Or he was in that condition because of his own sins in the womb, as if such a thing could take place. But the religious leader, the Jewish leaders would look at his condition and say it was because of sin that he was in that condition. And I'll be honest with you, this was a dire situation for him to be in spiritually and physically. His disability, here's what we know, it barred him from two of the most important areas in life for a Jewish man. You ready? Number one, worship. And number two, work. Think of this. He was laying outside the gate called beautiful. He was on the wrong side of the gate. You see, worship took place on the other side. You had to go through the gate, and yet he was lying outside of the gate. He was barred from worship because of the perceived sin in his life that deformed his legs and left him unable to walk. He was unable to go into God's house and properly worship. And we find this too, that also barred him from important friendships that he would make with other Jewish men and relationships that he needed in his life. He was on the wrong side of the gate, beautiful. 
But not only did it bar him, his, his disability did it bar him from proper worship of the Lord, but it also barred him from work. Guys, I'm going to tell you something. If you're a Jewish man in the first century, one of the prominent things that defines you and where your identity lies is in your work. He couldn't provide for himself. His situation was dire. Now, let's talk about this gate called beautiful for a minute. Although we don't know exactly which gate he laid out. Imagine with me this temple complex that is over 35 acres in size. Imagine it being a maze of walking in and out of courtyards and areas. And imagine nine gates with me, nine large gates. Well, Josephus in the first century would say this. He, he believes he knows exactly what gate it was. It was made of Corinthian brass. It was plated with gold and silver. It stood 75 feet tall, 60 feet wide. It was beautiful to the sight. But the less beautiful sight was the beggar who lay just outside of the gate. But there it was. And there he was, able to find a spot where he could beg for money. And he asked this question, well, why that spot? Why that gate? Why even the temple? Why even venture out there? Well, it's called the giving of alms. For a Jewish man, an important part of his faith was the giving of the alms. In fact, the most important showing and the most important outpouring of his faith was giving charity to the poor. And so imagine with me, beggars from all around, dozens if not hundreds, would flood the temple gates, lie there begging. Why? Hoping, just hoping, that charity would be bestowed upon him as thousands of Jewish people came to pray with the Lord. I had this thought on Sunday driving in. Here I find this crippled beggar. And you know what he's really dependent upon? He's really dependent upon the Jewish people to live out their faith. He can't provide for himself. He can't get anywhere by himself. And what he's dependent upon is for people to live out their faith. And I begin to think about maybe the very names that are in this box. Who's your one? That one person that's close to you but that's far from God. And I begin, you know what? They may not be begging for silver or gold. But the truth is, is we live in a community, in a world. We live in a midst of ones in our lives that are begging for hope. That are begging for peace that are begging for joy. And whether they know it or not, they're begging for Jesus. And you know what they are, they're counting on? You and me to live out our faith. And very much so is this man lying at the gate called beautiful. Now, consider this. This guy laying at the gate was crippled from birth physically. But hear me. Because of this wrong-headed thought about his disability, he was crippled spiritually as well. Couldn't worship properly. His, his disability was a result of his parents' sin. And you know what? Every time I've read Acts chapter 3, and it's one of, I love this chapter in the Bible. You know what I see lying there? Not just a crippled beggar. You know what else I see? Me. I, I see myself lying there with the beggar. Here's the truth, you ready? All of us are crippled from birth 
Because of sin, we're born into sin. All of us have a bent towards sin and self and away from God. In fact, the reality is, is that every single person in here is crippled spiritually at birth. And every time I see him lying there, I'm reminded of the very same condition I knew in my life. His situation was hopeless. His situation was helpless. And there he was laying there. Hey, hey, church, can I ask you a question? You've laid there before, haven't you? You've laid at that gate before, haven't you? You've known what it is to be broken, hopeless, and helpless, in need of something or someone that you didn't have. Hey, church, if you don't remember such a time, think of the day before you found Jesus what your life was like without him. And you can remember all too well what it's like to lay there. Here's the truth of it. Some of you are laying at that gate right now. Some of you are laying at the wrong side of the gate called beautiful right now. You're crippled by fear, anxiety, past sins, mistakes, past shames. You're lying there because you've been hurt. You've been wounded. You've been broken. And you are in desperate need of someone to look your way, to love on you. And you know what? I bet you if I were to bring the beggar on stage today, I bet you he could tell you about someone who'll do just that. Look what it says here in Acts chapter 3 as we continue on in our study. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. That's just what he does. Peter looked straight at him. Asked to John, and note this, then Peter said, look at us. He's begging without looking. And so the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. One of, I, I love this part of the Bible because here's what we find. And let me set the stage for you real quick. You find those who are heading in to pray at the temple, passing through throngs of people each day. They knew that, that making eye contact with a beggar would be an open invitation for that beggar to beg more of them. So they didn't even look at him. This beggar, no dignity, no hope, was at such a condition that he, would, he no longer looked at people when they passed by. He just did what he knew how to do, and he just asked for money without looking at anyone and then Peter, the Bible says here, he looked straight at him. Not a common occurrence. And even when people gave, now watch this, and why it's so uncommon is here's what would happen if you were to give alms to the poor and you're walking into the temple, here's what you do. You take your money and you would toss it the way of the beggar. You'd walk down the street, you'd see him, you wouldn't make eye contact with him, and the best you could, you would just go on about your day, toss your money where it goes, and you've fulfilled your job to give to the poor. But you know, I think of Peter, and I thought, that's not so with him. That beggar had value in Peter's eyes because I begin to think, because Jesus valued the beggar. And as we begin to look at this story, we find that the Holy Spirit caught Peter's attention because he was running after the crippled man who was lying there at the gate. And he did so, and he looked at him through Peter. I remember before we came and planted this church, 
Um, my wife and I went to New York City. We love New York. I love New York City for about seven minutes, and then I'm, I'm good to come home. My wife likes it a couple more days, and we go down there, watch some shows, and just enjoy being together. And I'll never forget the last time we went, uh, we decided that Sunday morning to go to Hillsong Church. Now, we either go Brooklyn Tabernacle or Hillsong Church. We've been to New York. We love them both. Man, that morning at Hillsong Church was powerful. The message was incredible and strong. And the worship was just, and made much of Jesus. We loved it. As we exited that morning, there in the middle of the city, um, I'll never forget, it's as if the homeless people had kind of flocked to the streets surrounding where the church let out. But it was so cold on that morning that they were all bundled up and it seems with their blankets and their cardboard, they'd fallen back asleep. And as we walked out, listen, we had an itinerary filled for the day. And we had a lot to do. And I'll never forget Aaron, my wife, she, she looked at me and she said, do you see all the homeless people? I said, yeah, babe, it's just terrible. She said, you know what, we ought to do something. I thought, we got time to do something. A full day in New York. And, I, and she said, you know, let, let's go buy some gift cards at McDonald's. Because we knew this. McDonald's was close. It was warm. They could buy some food. And that money would go along. And she said, let's take some vacation money. And let's just go uh, buy them some gift cards. And how do you say no to that? <laughs> right? I heard you like, no, babe. It's a terrible idea. I was like, okay, yeah, let's go. And, and so we went to McDonald's and bought some um, gift cards. And, and what we did was that we, we started right there outside of where we met. And we came up to the first homeless man, and he was asleep. And she said, here you go. Here's the car. Oh, no, 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 no. This is your baby. You're going to wake him up. Why don't you give him the card? I'll be your bouncer, right? I'll be your bodyguard. You just go down. You give him the card. Now, I watched my wife as she, uh, she woke him up. And you know what's amazing? She looked at him right in the eyes. And here's this beautiful lady. Miss thousands of people who just are walking by this man. And she looks him in the eye. And she begins to talk to him. She gives him a, a gift card and says, hey, listen, we just want to remind you that Jesus loves you. And then, you know what, we wanted to pray with him. And, and so we got a chance to pray with him. And I'll never forget that for homeless man after homeless man, we woke him up, the value of what it was to look them in the eye and to remind them how much Jesus loved them. And then I begin to think as a challenge from that, you know what, as I look in Acts chapter 3 and I think of that crippled beggar, hey, let me challenge you, church, you ready? Look up and notice people. Put down the phone. Put down the excuses. Love people enough to look at people. Looking, making eye contact with people can make an eternal impact in their lives. Well, how do I know that? Because before Peter could lift him up off the ground, Peter had to look him in the eye. And that's what we find here in Acts chapter 3. Now let's continue on. It says this in verse 6. And then Peter said, and I love this, one of my favorite parts in all this story. Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. Hey, let me stop right there. Oftentimes in engaging people who are spiritually or even physically crippled, people who are in great need, we look at what we have and say, man, I don't have anything for you. Hey, Christian, recognize this, that you have the message of hope, that you have the message of life, that you have the person who could change everything about their story. You are never in a position where you don't have something to give to somebody because you always have Jesus to give. And that's what we see here. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And in verse seven, taking him by the right hand, 
he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. You know what I love about this? Peter looks at him and says, I may not have what you want, but I have exactly what you need. He looked at him. He loved him. And Jesus took care of the rest. Jesus took care of the rest in his life. We see an incredible miracle where a lame man sprawled on the ground now stands for the first time ever. And it's all because of Jesus. I love this thought when Peter said this, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Here's what I, I want to frame that up in a little bit of a different way. And I love what this one author did. Listen to how he wrote this, framing this up in a little different way. He said, what Peter was saying is, I am speaking the words, but Jesus is now healing you. When I speak in his name with the faith that he has now given me for your healing, he is acting and not me. You see, when Peter invoked Jesus' name, he called upon his authority, his reputation, and his power. And here's what we find out. You ready? Church, that silver and that gold, they don't fix everything. I love that statement. Money doesn't buy happiness, but I'd sure like to give it a try. <laughs> Have you ever done? Hey, money doesn't buy happiness, but it can buy a boat. And money doesn't buy happiness, but it can buy a truck that pulls that boat, right? You've heard those, right? But here's what we find in Acts chapter 3, a reminder that silver and gold, they don't fix everything. You see, the crippled beggar, he wanted for money, for food, for clothes, and for shelter. But we uncover here in Acts chapter 3, the greatest need in his life was spiritual and not just physical. If our greatest need was for money, God would have sent us a banker. But our greatest need was for salvation. And so God sent his son, Jesus, as our savior. And that's exactly what he is finding out here in Acts chapter 3. Hey, believer, can I give you just a warning? Be careful how much you intertwine and interweave the American dream with the Great Commission. The American dream reminds us that you could become anything you want to be. You could have all the money you're willing to work for. And, all the, and listen, I'm not talking it, but it's very important to be reminded that the Great Commission is not just social justice work, but it is work to the honor and to the glory of God and to the good of all men. I, I think of, uh, listen, back when I was young, there were some really great movies that came out, okay? Um, really movies that just broke every mold that were powerful. Movies like Dumb and Dumber. Um, movies like the Batmans of that day when I was younger. And there was a star that was equal among all of the movies, and his name was Jim Carrey. Now, that dude's falling off the bandwagon a little bit here nowadays. It gets a little bit off sides here, but, but let me tell you a quote that he said. A man who was famous and knew great wealth, he said this. I think everybody should get rich and famous and to do everything they ever dreamed of so they could see it's not the answer. You know what? I think if Jim Carrey were to meet that beggar that day and talk with him, I bet you, I just bet you that that beggar would say, you know what? I know the answer and I know his name. Hey, Jim Carrey's name is Jesus. 
You see, I think about this, and, I, and one of the challenges I have is, hey, church, don't turn back to silver or gold as your Savior. It'll only lead you to being crippled spiritually, once again, lying at the gate that is anything but beautiful. And what we see here in Acts chapter 3, and I love it, as it plays out in these verses, is we see God do what God does best. You ready? Where God takes our impossibility, and he uses it as an opportunity to work in your life and mine. God is amazing at taking impossible situations as opportunities for him to move in the lives of his people. And we find that here with a crippled beggar. As Jesus takes this man's impossibility as an opportunity to show up, to show out, and to show off. You see, oftentimes we face impossible situations that are outside of our control. And it's in those times that maybe, just maybe, God is setting the stage for him to take your impossibility as an opportunity to work and to move. Look at this in verse eight. Talk about an opportunity. The Bible says that this crippled man, he jumped to his feet. He began to walk. Then he walked with them into the temple courts. By the way, a place he had never been, doing things he had never done. He had never jumped. He had never walked. He had never worshiped near the temple courts. He was walking and jumping and praising God. Hey, by the way, do, do you see what it is that can make a crippled man dance? Are you catching the dance party here in Acts chapter 3? What is it that can make a crippled man dance? Jesus. Jesus can. The Bible says this, when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. You see, I think of this man, and for the first time, he was able to walk into the temple courts and worship God. For the first time, he was able to work and provide for himself. The stigma of sin is now gone, and he has known the forgiveness of Jesus. You know what's amazing? I think of Jesus, and I think that he changed this man's life. And can I share with you, church? He can do so for you, too. He can do so for you, too. I love it. As we, as we kind of close out in Acts chapter 3, verses 11 through 26, I just want to say this. I love it. As always, with the wonder comes the word. With the wonder that is the healing of this crippled man and him now jumping and praising God in the temple courts, with the wonder now comes the word. And Peter takes this opportunity. As the crowd gathers around, he takes this opportunity to preach the gospel. He makes clear that it is Jesus and Jesus alone who has brought forth this miracle. It, was, it wasn't a miracle done for Peter necessarily to gain prestige, but for a crippled beggar to be born again and to walk again. I love what one commentator said. He said this, in Acts, the miracles were always in the service of the word, he said, confirming God's presence in the spread of the gospel. And it's important to notice, we're going to see in our study in the weeks ahead that this healing kicks off a series of events that are pivotal in the life of the early church. This man's healing, this miracle in chapter 3, changed everything for the church in Jerusalem. And hear me, ready? 2,000 people, we're going to find this out next week, 2,000 people were saved 
after Peter preached the gospel there in the temple courts that day. I love how God continues to couple both the wonder and his word to work the gospel in and through the lives of people. Can I just throw a a warning shot across the bow real quick, believer? Our charity, our giving, should always point people to Jesus. Our generosity is about our love for God and his love going forth in someone else's life. Our kindness to others is but a token compared to the kindness that God has shown us through Jesus Christ. Our charity must be done with clarity, answering on whose behalf we serve, on whose behalf we give, and on whose behalf we love. If not, then our work is in vain. And it is not part of the great commission that God has called us to. You've heard that old saying that people don't care what you know until they know that you care. And what we find here in the life of this crippled beggar was that not only did Peter care for him, but Jesus cared for him. And it made all the difference in the world in his life. I want to close out with this story. Um, About two and a half years ago now, and no need to bring up the lights down on the floor. Um, two years ago, I was in Charlotte, and I'd parted, partnered, our, partnered our student ministry with a, a ministry called Love Life Charlotte. You know what we did? We, we went to the most infamous of abortion clinics in, in all of Charlotte that, that, that was responsible for the death of just as, much, as many babies as any other place in the southeast. And you know what we did? We didn't go there and shout at people. We didn't do things like We just prayer walked that building. That God would do a work in the abortionist's heart and those who worked there. We provided jobs for the ladies who would quit. We would have jobs for them that paid more money and had benefits. We were there for moms and helped them. We would throw baby showers for moms. We would help get them planted and connected so they can raise their kids. Just incredible. Well, I got invited by them to pray in downtown Charlotte outdoors where they had set up to celebrate life and to pray life over the city. I said, Pastor Andy, would you just come and pray life over the city? I said, man, shoot, yeah, I love Charlotte. I love, I want to pray life over the city. And, and so I got there and I was a little bit behind, at least I thought, but there was a parking garage right where I was supposed to be. And so I pulled in and there was empty spaces. Man, I was so excited. That never happens, right? Favor of the Lord, right? Well, I was just going with it all day. And, and so I get out there and I realize this, I'm an hour early. I can't stand when that happens. I was an hour early and I'd rush, I thought I was late, but I kind of slowed up my walk as I walked out of the parking garage and just a block down the road was this big open area in the middle of the city where soon enough I would pray life over our city. I get, I get to walk in and I notice just up ahead there's a, an African-American lady, elderly, sitting on a park bench. And if you go into Charlotte, we minister to homeless people, you knew right away she was homeless. And so as I got close to where she was, she said, she cried this out. She said, man of God, will you pray with me? Now listen, I'm telling you, I was wearing exactly what I'm wearing right now. And so when she said, man of God, I started looking for him. Like I was like, where's this guy? I'll get him for you. You know, I'll let him pray. And, and, and then she looked right at me and she said, man of God, would you pray for me? I mean, I didn't have a Bible or anything. 
And so I said, man, of course I will. And I sat down and I didn't have to do much so uh, at that time because I was way early. And so I just sat next to her and I began to listen to her story about losing her husband, about losing her job, of being too old now to do much. It was hard for her to move around. And I began to hear the struggles every night trying to find a bed in the shelter there in Charlotte what it was like to live on the streets, the fears that she had. I listened to her. She cried as she wept, as we laughed together, as I would poke fun at times just to get a smile out of her. Knew she was hungry, so I took five bucks out of my pocket, shared a hot dog and some chips with her and bought her a drink. And we sat on that park bench and we just, we talked about Jesus. I looked in her eyes that were tired, that were worn, that had seen many years. We just talked. While I was doing that, it was getting close to time for me to pray life over the city. There were a lot of of women who had shown up that were pro-choice. And listen, in America, people have a right to protest whatever they like. But I'll never forget, they were pulling in the same parking garage that that we were at, and there was a lot of them. Um, they They would soon shout me down as I prayed that I hated women, that I was at war against women, Um, not to mind you that my mom's a woman that my wife's a woman I'm a dad of three daughters my mother-in-law's a woman right but I love women I work very hard to take care of them and provide them with everything here's what I noticed those women who would soon shot me down walked by this woman and never once looked her in the eye Never once bought her a hot dog. Never once cared anything about her. Yet I was the one who hated women and was engaged in the war on women. Just, it, it broke my heart. And I remember as I sat there with her, I prayed with her. I just reminded her, listen, no matter where you lay your head at night, Jesus loves you. I couldn't fix her poverty in that moment. I couldn't fix her homelessness. Silver and gold, I could not give her. But what I have is I'll look in the eye. I'll love you because Jesus does. And that whole time I sat with her, I did everything I could to let loose the gospel in her life. Silver and gold I didn't have. I couldn't fix all her her problems. But you know, I had Jesus. And that's exactly who she needed in that moment. And I thought about a challenge as we walk away today. And my challenge is this, what happens when we see the crippled man lying there at the gates of this life? Now, now he may not be a beggar on the side of the road, he may just be. But what happens when we come to people who spiritually are crippled, who spiritually are broken, who are laying at the gate of this world and they're on the wrong side of the gate? What do we do, you ready church? We realize you and I have laid there before. Don't forget, you and I have laid there before. Number two, we look at them. We value them. We look at them. Number three, we love them. But anything, they're probably there because they did just stop. You love them. Well, they probably, they just don't know how to stop. You love them. 
and you let loose the gospel in your life. You, you may not be the one who can cure them of their alcoholism or their drug addiction. You may not be the one who could cure their marriage of being broken. You may not be the one who can cure all the else in their life, but you know what? You know the one who can. You let loose the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here's the takeaway for the believer. Hey, can I just remind you that every day ought to be a dance party for the believer, a celebration of the day that Jesus saw you lying at the gate and he picked you up and he healed what broke you spiritually in your life and he saved you. Every day ought to be a dance party. Hey, who can pick up a crippled man? Who can make a crippled man dance? hey believer can I give you this last challenge don't lay at the gate again don't go back again to lying down at the very same gate that Jesus picked you up from you know what's amazing about Jesus is that he uniquely and alone can heal all that fights to cripple you today and he will do it so stop laying down at the gate when you don't have to anymore your impossibility is an opportunity for God to show up and to move in your life don't stop dancing don't stop celebrating Jesus and if you're here tonight and maybe just maybe Jesus has never picked you up. Maybe spiritually you are crippled, you are broken, and he's never saved you. Why not tonight? Why not allow him to do so? Why not place your faith and trust in him and let, you pick, let him pick you up tonight? Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.